um, called to leave a memorial voice message for uh, your boy Bob Madigan. Live it up, buddy. Uh, play that intro, D. Boom. Hi, this is Bob Madigan, and you're living. Ah, listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and Ron. Sick and Ron. <laughs> Thanks, dude. This is Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary, brought to you by AdamandEve.com. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm your host, D. Simon. Sick and Wrong, the longest, most needlessly elaborate tattoo financing scheme in recorded history. I'm Harrison. Join me, <laughs> won't you? That's the only reason I do it, you know. I know. It is. Uh, happy uh, 420 there, Broheim. <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> what, what did you do to uh, celebrate this esteemed holiday, this occasion? Um, Hitler's birthday. Uh, I took a, 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 a nap in some uh, blankets damp with my own tears. Um, and then I, uh, you know, spent some time just kind of uh, calmly reflecting out the window. <laughs> at how wrong things have gone. It's pretty you much know, right, though. Yeah. I feel like 420 just has more significance now. Like, I, you know, it's, 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 so, it's so cliche. It's so 2003. So mm. ought three. It's 420. But people are still, it seems like it's a bigger deal now because of the, uh, you know, the, the weed legislation. Uh, the, the, um, the weed becoming legalized. Okay. You know, you got marijuana being legalized in Colorado. It's essentially legalized in California. And I think it's become, it just seems like 420 is just a bigger, like a bigger deal. Do you think eventually it's going to be a national holiday? No. I don't know. Watch. Oh, yeah. Watch what happens. And, and, and to be honest, it's so, it's just, it's, it's, it's so cliche. Yeah. It's been done so many times. It's as cliche as Bob Marley. It's tired. You know what, you know what's cool? This, this, I was reading this today. I read this today and I was thinking, so, so here we are celebrating our pop culture right. on this day. We're listening to reggae, probably. We're playing hacky sack with our stupid reggae hats. And we're smoking like, I don't know, 12 blunts or, or we're sitting there dabbing, listening to Lil Wayne. You know what they're doing in Pakistan? Um, dying? I don't know. What, what are they doing? No, they're so bored with, with uh, heroin and marijuana and these other drugs. They smoke scorpions to get high off the venom. Mm. They've been doing this since the 60s. Is that legal? Can I get that on the internet? You know, they don't say... They don't say whether or not uh, it, it, it's it's to- they they say it's tolerated by authorities. They won't say whether or not it's legal. Ooh. The stuff appears to be highly addictive, and uh, oftentimes when uh, people can't find scorpions in their village, they travel to like uh, one of the main cities, one of the larger cities in Pakistan here, uh, Peshawar, it's a regional capital, to buy them at the market. Any scorpions or some particular kind? I'm assuming it's this, yeah. this these Afghani. Pakistani scorpions. I don't know. I don't what know. If I just, Probably any scorpion. They all have venom. What if I just smoke the bones of the band, the scorpions? Will that get me high? 
You think? Maybe? That would definitely get you a pretty hefty buzz. Do you remember that movie with Method Man and Red Man? <laughs> Where they like smoked this magic weed that made them brilliant. So then they went to Harvard, but then the magic weed ran out and they're like, shit, how are we going to stay like super smart? And so they dug up John Quincy Adams and smoked his bones. Why John Quincy Adams? Was I don't he know, because he was a smart guy. Well, and they why were not in Boston. dig up Einstein or something? They were in Boston. They're not going to go wherever the fuck Einstein's buried. I suppose. I would, I would go long. get like Rasputin. I mean, I don't know. Rasputin. I'm just saying, John okay. Quincy Adams, like, how much does he... He probably knew a lot back in 1776. Yeah, he probably did. You know, I, I, yeah. but, but whatever. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is, we, we sit here, like, glorifying marijuana and smoking joints and uh, and, and what other kind of uh, just tired pot culture that we, we seem to revel in, whereas they're actually smoking fucking scorpions. Right. That, that's what you should be doing. If you want to, you know, if you want to really celebrate drug use, you want to live on the edge, scorpions. They, they actually go into detail about how they prepare it. So a dead scorpion is first dried in the sun or roasted on hot coal. Uh, it's not oftentimes they're roasted alive. And they would just inhale the smoke coming out of the fire. Apparently the entire arachnids inhaled, even though the venom's concentrated in the tail. But the high can last up to 10 hours. Hmm. And the first six are said to be extremely painful as the body adjusts to the venom. But the last four are pretty damn good. It says everybody appears like they're dancing. The roads, the vehicles, everything in front of me is dancing. That's how this guy described it. That sounds like a big barrier to entry there, you know? What, the six hours of pain? Yeah, this sounds, yeah, oh, I don't know. come on, dude. I don't know about all that. Go screw them. Mm. I mean, I, I just feel like if you're going to do drugs, why not like be like Hunter S. Thompson? Carpe diem. Just actually do it. Not just sit here and smoke a couple joints with your friends at some Irish pub. Yeah. You know, dabbing. So, so your example of, the, of whatever the hell you're proposing here, which I'm not, to be honest, I'm not really sure what it is. Your example the is a guy who blew his brains out. Who, who blew his brains out? Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm just saying Hunter S. Thompson lived a full life. He was self-actualized. Okay. okay. It's like you smoke a couple joints, you're really not doing anything. Right. You know, you might as well just go drink a Bud Light. All right. Uh, that, that, that's all I'm getting to. Mm-hmm. I actually did something to celebrate uh, uh, 420. What'd you do? I did. I didn't want to do it as a force thing. Uh, my company, my company tends. You know the, the company I work for. Oh yes, I'm, f- I'm familiar with mandatory fucking fun days. At yeah, they, yeah, they do this. They did yeah. Star Wars. Right. Uh, they they took us to Lord of the Rings. This time they got like an exclusive pass to go to Universal Studios to check out Harry Potter World, which just opened up. Hmm. And, you, and it was mandatory. Like, you couldn't just say, well, can I just stay home instead? And you can just give the ticket to somebody that actually gives a shit. Right. Said, no, you had to go. If you didn't, you'd be charged a PTO day. That's fucking so, Yeah, great. so we, you had to go. And you had to get there at 8 o'clock. Yeah. You had to go commingle with all your other employees. And then this, like, magic. And I guess they opened the park an hour early for, for my company. So we could go beat the lions to go see Harry Potter World. The power of Scientology. I didn't think Scientologists would be into that. Into Harry Potter. I mean, I guess they're not aliens, but... Why not? Why wouldn't they? They just don't seem to be into gay people. or or I just figured if they're not into gay people, they wouldn't be into wizards. That's quite a leap there, you made. I, I don't know. Wizards, yeah. gay people. Okay. What about a uh, what's his name? Dumbledore, the guy that wasn't he a gay? I, I've never read or I think seen he was gay. Harry Potter films. I don't. Know. 
Is have, that, are, are you excited to go see is that uh, Ian McKellen? I don't. I don't. I, I, I avoid the whole fantasy <laughs> genre. I don't know. I don't like it. Well, you don't read any fantasy, like even like Lord of the Rings. No, you, you've never read Lord of the Rings. No, and I, I, wa- I went to see the first movie and I walked out because it's like the whole thing. It's like it was seven hours long, first of all, and it's like you know, oh, we've gotten through the mines of Grimdor. Thank Brago. Uh, but now, and then I'm like, oh, great. I can fucking get but out of here. But you just can't suspend your disbelief. I'm like, oh, good. I can get, get out of here, get something to eat. And then it's like, but wait, we must cross the forest of Garabaldi where there's an evil so. And I'm like, okay, oh, shit. Okay, it's going right. to be another two hours. Yeah, but you, know? you could watch like the series, the Daredevil series. It's different, and, man. Yeah, but you could watch that and be like, yeah, that, that happens all the time. The fantasy Blind genre with, with is... Fantasy, it, with like superpowers. The fantasy genre is a great universe to play video games in. But watching shit in it, pfft, it bores the fuck out of me. Elves. What's elves? Fucking I, you know, gnomes okay. walking around New Zealand. Who gives a shit? I can understand you for saying three that. Hours. I can understand you saying that about right. Harry Potter because yeah. it's like we were too old for Harry Potter. Right. And not to mention Harry Potter is a children's book and should not be read by fucking adults. Well, to be honest, who, I, th- I think I'd probably like, high school. I think I'd probably like Harry Potter. I just because people are like oh, a lot of people I know really like it, you know, and uh, I think I would enjoy it, but I'm just like I don't need it in my life, you know? It's the last yeah, thing but, I but need. Lord of the Rings is a classic. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's they're completely different texts. You know, I think, I think Harry Potter's young adult reading for, you know, um, millennials. Yeah, and I'm sure it'll be one of my deathbed regrets. But the thing is with, the, with Harry Potter, I got to say, this, this Harry Potter world was kind of fun. Like, you get to wander through it. And, like, if you buy a wand, it's, it's interactive. So you see all these people standing in front of windows being like, blah, 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 seem so a bim, whatever. And then the window would do something. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is with Harry Potter, the reason why I don't hate it, like I hate most things, is because J.K. Rowling did inspire millions of children to read rather than waste their minds, you know, watching insipid television shows or, or video games, you know? She, uh, that is true. But I mean, it's it, arguably, it's also why no one reads above an eighth grade level anymore. Well, I, no, I agree with you on that. That's yeah. why I, I have a difficult time accepting Harry Potter as, yeah. as an art form, you know? But, but the, this, the, the, the park you wander through, it's a very immersive, immersive environment. Like you're walking through the Hogwarts village. You can go into all the different stores and buy like chocolate frogs and things like that. Yeah. But you know what they had to do? You know what fucking bones they had to stop on to build that thing? Oh, I know. I know. And and I feel like I've seen poltergeist, you know, you don't build, you know, you don't build a house on top of an Indian burial ground and you don't build a Harry Potter gift shop on the, on the remains of the monster museum, the universal monster museum gone. I don't think it was called the Monster Museum. Whatever it Whatever is, it's, it was. It's, it's a museum the of Universal Monsters, that yeah. haunted house thing. I had t- I knew I had two friends of mine who worked there. Uh, dude, I I was I was you know cruising all around it trying to I was like um, going all around trying to find this place, and uh, finally I just went and asked um, some acne ridden teenager who works there. I was like, hey, mm. excuse me, where, where's the monster? You know the monster thing with <laughs> Frankenstein and all that, and he's just like. Oh, that was over there. Yeah. But now it's a gift shop. And I was like, you tore it down? He's like, yeah, well, a long time ago. And I was, God, I was just filled with rage. Yeah. Left the park. Yeah, but, but you know what the thing is? That was cool. Like, they had the, the Bride of Frankenstein's, like, original set. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I would have, I never went there, but I would have loved to see it. Oh, I was, I was, I was quite shit. bummed. Yeah, it's awful. Anyway, uh, the reason why it, uh, it was convenient that it happened on 420 is we smoked a lot of marijuana. And I was worried. <clears throat> I was worried the whole time. So we, were, we smoked a lot of marijuana out of a vape pen. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I smoked a lot of marijuana. We're walking around, and I'm uh, just worried that, you know, at first I was like, I'm not going to go to Universal, walk through Harry Potter World sober. I'm going to get really high. Right. And then it dawned on me, you know, like 500 of my fellow coworkers are going to be here right now, and that's going to be very awkward. Hmm. Didn't really run into anybody. Had to hide a couple times. I see. But yeah, it wasn't that bad. Didn't really run into anybody. Although I, I can't really recommend Universal as a, a, a destination for people. And if, you, if you've ever been, it, it's, they don't even have rides. It's not, even roller, it's not even like a real roller coaster. You basically sit in this kind of like car thing that moves up and down and, and around. They blow hot air on you and spray you with water. And you watch like a, 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 an IMAX. I went to a party there once, but I've never been there like during the day. Just avoided. I just avoided. They don't even have the monsters. Yeah. Anyway. So, so, you know, have fun in your 420. But what you should be thinking about right now is who you're going to be voting for, for president. You yeah. Gutted? Weren't you gutted about the, uh, the, the New York primary? No. I, no. You I didn't care? I don't give a shit. Why don't you care? I just wanted to see Hillary lose. She already lost in 2008. No, but know, I just I mean, wanted that, to see her lose New York, her home state, and have uh, Bernie win. That's all I wanted to see because it would be funny. Why would it be funny? I don't, it'd just be funny because she's so arrogant. And she was so optimistic mm-hmm. about it. And then all of a sudden, Bernie would have been, like, in her mind, a real contender. It would have been like mm-hmm. a bitter fight, you know, for the nomination. I, just, I mean, I, I think, I think there, there could probably be better people for it than her. But I just want there to be a woman president just like... No, we're get, long get overdue. It, you know what I mean? Just to get it over with, just we're, to be like, all right, we've crossed that societal hurdle. We're long overdue. I just yeah. don't want it to be Hillary. I'd rather have like Elizabeth Warren in there. I, well, bet you, I would too, but I mean, you know. I bet if sprinkles if, and ice or every, every, if wishes were fishes, I don't know, whatever the if, thing is. If Bernie ended up yeah. beating her in New York, I bet you she would have arranged to have him murdered because she's that powerful. Oh, are you one of these guys who thinks that Vince Foster didn't kill himself? All I'm saying yeah. is uh, Hillary Clinton has some kind of weird mm. reptilian influence on people. I don't know. And, and the thing is with this New York thing is, you know, millions of people across the state mm. suddenly discovered that they couldn't vote unless they were registered Democrats. So independents weren't allowed to vote for, for Bernie. So I, thought that, I thought that was Democrat. always the case in New York State. If you're an independent, that's why I I'm think a it- lot of I think I think Sanders could have made a bigger deal in like telling people if you're independent, you need to register Democrat. But they make this like this Byzantine like registration process I mean, that no one can figure out how to do. That's why I'm an independent. I, that way I don't have to vote in the primaries. Yeah, I, I don't know. So we, we have an interview coming up with a candidate that uh, we're backing. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't it's know. It's change I can believe in. That's well, for sure. a lot of people ask, well, this guy's going to make America great again. Yeah. Um, a lot of people ask us, like, who are you voting for? And, you know, uh, I know a lot of the English people, yeah. uh, they, they find it hilarious. Well, let's just Trump say this guy's running. got a really inclusive immigration policy. <laughs> But uh, you know, we finally we've we've finally chosen a candidate. We are officially endorsing a candidate, one you've probably never heard of for good reason. But um, he's far and away the most qualified to lead the country. Absolutely, I would say. You know, I, I'm not going to say who it is yet. I'm just building suspense here. But we actually have an interview with a real presidential candidate. And it's not often that we get involved with politics. You know, we we lambast politics. We disparage it. We make fun of people. And we, you know, really, we're both kind of apathetic when it comes down to it. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Really care. Except that I read about an interview with this guy somewhere. I don't know. And I was like, I need to get this guy on the show because this guy stands for what I believe in. 
Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm wondering about a guy like this. You know, is he independent? Is he third party? Is he going to be a write-in candidate? He's going to be a write-in candidate, yeah. He probably has to be. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like a lot of people ask, like, how much does it cost to run for president of the U.S.? Um, if you want to spend less than five grand, you don't even have to register with the FEC. You, you won't get on any ballots, though. You have to be a write-in candidate. So for, for less than five grand, you can be a write-in candidate. It's just no one's going to hear from you or no one's yeah. going to hear of you. Unless you go viral or something. And as a writing candidate, you'll probably get beat by the uh, other writing candidate, which is just blow me, you know? <laughs> or uh, they, they often just write in uh, just, just random names. A lot yeah. of dead people. Like people write in Freddie Mercury. Hmm. Often, you know, I bet you people wrote in Lemmy. I bet you there's more than 10 people that write in Lemmy Killmister. Uh, I, I, would, I would just guess probably you, <laughs> and that would be it. Um, so how much does it cost to run for president of the U.S.? Less than five grand. But how much does it cost to win a presidential election? It's a different story. Uh, it's, right now, it's well into the hundreds of millions of dollars to be taken seriously as a top-tier candidate. Yeah. So that already eliminates you know, the plurality of this election. I mean, that, that, already, that, that limits us to either a Republican or a Democrat or an independent who's just a bazillionaire. Well, when you think of the money, what did they spend, I don't know, what, $50 million on Jeb Bush's campaign? $50 million. You know what they could have done with Super that? Super Just like, the biggest waste of but money. But what do they do with the money now? I mean, what, what happens to that it, money? They spent it, man. They spent that shit. Yeah, there's no it's way gone. you would have spent that much money. Oh, there is. But so, so that's why the only way you can be considered a top-tier candidate is to, just, is to have millions of dollars backing you. So Trump has, says he has his own money, but he must have, uh, you know, political action committees and people endorsing him. You don't get rich using be your own money for shit. You know? And Hillary Clinton, I mean, they, and Bernie's been uh, been calling her out, you know, and, and, and screaming, because that guy is kind of a whiner anyway. But he's been screaming about campaign finance reform because of the amount of money that Hillary gets. Do you hear about that party she had with George Clooney? No. Clinton, Clinton was asking donors for $353,000 for two seats at the head table with herself at this fundraiser that Clooney was throwing. Clooney and his wife, Amal. I always want to say Amal. That's Amal, I think. This is in San Francisco. And the next night, they hosted another fundraiser. It was 33000 per person at the couple's Los Angeles home. Right. Sanders. Sanders was upset about this. He said, big money's dominating our political system. And he's, and, and you know, the, the, the average donation to uh, Bernie Sanders is $27.88. Hmm. And so you're... Uh, an individual's only allowed to donate $2,700 to a candidate. That's it. But these super PACs, these political action committees, get around this. They get around this by, uh, by uh, making donations. Yeah, like uh, there's been contributions, individual contributions from, from several, several uh, donors in these super PACs that has been as high as $353,000, which is 130 times over the $2,700 limit. And so Bernie's pissed off about this, even though Bernie's raising a lot of money too. I, um, yes. So, I, I, to be honest, I, I kind of, in my mind, I'm just thinking about the Bride of Frankenstein because politics, I kind of breeze <laughs> out when anybody's talking about it. So just the, the point I'm trying I'll to try make, to bear with you here. The, the try, point I'm trying, I'm trying to make okay. is our candidate who we're supporting yeah. and we're officially endorsing will never be able to debate either one of the top tier candidates because he, he doesn't have a hundred million dollars right. to put into an election. So why bother doing so, it? Well, it's yeah. like, why bother? But it's just our entire system's rigged. Yeah. I and mean, there's no way you're ever going to hear about from anybody unless they're a Trump 
or a Hillary Clinton. It's pretty much the same type of candidate. So anyway, Harrison and I are taking the other route. We're backing somebody you've never heard of. Somebody who I definitely think is most qualified to lead this country. And somebody who believes in four different kinds of aliens. Yes. He's met at least two different aliens. At least two of the so four. He's been on, yep. he's, he's had actual contact with aliens. The guy knows how to time travel. He's met Abraham Lincoln as a child, when he was a child. We are talking about Andrew Basiago, yes. a lawyer, a former U.S. chrononaut, a Mars explorer with an IQ of 168, and uh, whom career CIA officers have associated with DARPA's secret time travel program. Yeah. Yeah, this guy... Uh, Andrew and he went to Mars with Obama in the 80s. Well, Basiago said that uh, time travel has pre-identified him as a future president. Much like it did with George H.W. Bush, Bill right. Clinton, Barack Obama. But I think Barack Obama found out he was going to be president on Mars. Is this like that thing in, in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure where you're just like, you know, we have to remember to leave the keys here. But we did leave the keys, you know, like we had to remember to become president. And then it's like, but, but we didn't do it. But it did happen. It must be that kind of thing. Yeah, we're gonna, th- this guy's yeah. platform's incredible. If you go to andy2016.com, you can read his through his hundred proposals. Yeah. But a lot of them involve Sasquatch and time traveling, teleportation. And, and finally, uh, you know, healthcare will cover the Morgellons disease that the fucking chemtrails have given me. So I'll be fine. <laughs> He answers a lot of questions that Harrison's been uh, been searching for. Oh man! Yeah. If only had more time. If only had more time. We had more time. We would have uncovered all the secrets of yeah. mankind. This guy. So anyway, this is the candidate that Sigmund Rong's officially endorsing, Andrew Basiago for president, twenty sixteen. And we have an interview with him coming up next. Uh, this is episode five twenty nine here of Sigmund Rong. Uh, before we get to this interview with uh, Andy Basiago, here's a word from our sponsor. It's Butt Plug Month on AdamandEve.com. Show that you still care by bringing something new into the bedroom. And by something new, I mean a butt plug. Because if you order right now and use coupon code DIDDLE, you get 50% off your first item, a gift so sensual I can't even tell you about it on this podcast that talks about murder and bukkake, and on top of all of that, free shipping. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, adamandeve.com, and making a purchase with coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E. Hi, this is Andy. Andy, how you, how you doing? It's uh, D and Harrison here calling you from Sick and Wrong. Pleased to meet you. Good, good to be with you today. Yeah, thanks for being okay. on the show. Um, I recently read an article about your presidential campaign, and I was fascinated, very interested in it, so I'd like to learn more. Um, so, so tell me, are you affiliated with like a specific party? Are you you running independent? Actually, um, I'm running a write-in campaign because when my campaign staff, Andy 2016, researched how to get ballot access as an independent, we found that it now costs about four to five million dollars to to get ballot access, which is certainly not provided for under the Constitution. And we've had no political development to democratize the process of running for president, despite the fact that we have the internet available where we, we could create a standardized forum for the various mm-hmm. candidates to be featured. So I decided to run a write-in candidacy, and um, I represent only myself. And in fact, if you go into my 100 proposals, that's what I'm proposing that we do, is basically liquidate the parties so that we wouldn't have direct democracy in terms of just 
the, the, the populace voting on legislation online, I think that, quite frankly, would be dangerous to not have the, the filtering mechanism mm -hmm. of, of Congress. But as president, I hope to sponsor a plebiscite to dissolve the political parties as our chief political problem and something that, quite frankly, is, is an unconstitutional development that is impeding the model of government that the framers of the U.S. Constitution intended, which was an Athenian model of democracy in which people of virtue and talent would govern. We mm. don't have that. We have people, we have calculating political opportunists, extremely superficial, extremely oriented around utilizing politics to enrich themselves. And, um, you know, look at Bill Clinton. Well, I mean, yeah. if you look if you look at these candidates, uh, it's it's, it's they're, they're they're funded by celebrities and super PACs and Wall Street, and, uh, and and that's the only way you can run a campaign. I mean, that's the only way you're going to amass five million dollars. Correct me if I'm wrong. The Athenian model is um, when people serve in Congress like like jury duty, right? Isn't that well? Correct? That's part of it. That that's part of the definition of civic virtue. In other words, you would have statesmen and stateswomen who would go to their state and federal capitals, do the people's business, and then return home because they would be people of virtue and talent. They would be leading physicians and educators and, yes, some lawyers, but not almost exclusively lawyers. And I'm a lawyer myself as I say that. The model was actually based on the Greek definition of what the aristoi was. The aristoi wasn't the um, – the artificial aristocracy of wealth and privilege, as John Adams defined it, it was the natural aristocracy of virtue and talent, as Thomas Jefferson defined it. In other words, you would get the best people in government who would serve for a time and then mm -hmm. go home. And, you know, I was mentioning Bill Clinton. I started to mention Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was an effective president. He made some mistakes, but he was arguably the most effective president of the 20th century. He was the only one, I think after Franklin Roosevelt to leave a budget surplus when he left office uh, in, in 2001. Mm -hmm. He's now worth $150 million, and his wife, Hillary Rodham Clinton, who obviously is running for president this time, has accepted this time around essentially $8 million in bribes by giving over 40 speeches to corporations and foundations at $200,000 a pop. So what I discovered as you know, a lawyer um, in good standing in the Washington Bar Association. I'm a member of also of the United States District Court for the Western District of Washington. I've been practicing law for 20 years. I'm, um, I'm, I'm a prominent figure in the truth movement. What I found is that money has holds sway now and essentially is determining mm -hmm. the process of how we select the president. Look at the advantage that Donald Trump had as somebody who could just call in $25 million um, to promote himself. That was not the model that we inherited. And we are in deep, deep trouble as a society as a result because we are, we be, we are being led by a, a mediocre elite um, that is gaming the system to enrich itself. That's quite true. And I, I, I've noticed Bernie Sanders has drawn attention to the, the amount of donations that Hillary Clinton is receiving. I, mean, I think I read somewhere that the average Bernie donation is like $27. Well, I think the way to distinguish uh, Bernie, a true Democrat from Hillary, who I like to refer to as Republican light, is that for every dollar Bernie's gotten from the unions, Hillary's gotten $10 from corporations. And it's right down the list. 
Um, and so that's a good way to distinguish where politics is today. Somebody like Bernie Sanders, who has been a committed socialist for most of his career and an independent, who came a little bit closer to the center as the Democratic senator from Vermont, is 10 times less effective in message projection because he's being funded, you know, every dollar from the union, she's getting 10 from the corporations. And you, you see it reflected in how they're covered. I mean, Bernie got a minute of coverage from CNN for every 81 minutes that Donald Trump, somebody worth $4 billion, has gotten. And it's a travesty and a tragedy, and we really have to address it. You mentioned that the truth movement just now, um, and, and you're a prominent figure in the truth movement. What, what is that movement exactly? Well, I wouldn't define it exclusively as the 9-11 truth movement, as it's sometimes used. The truth movement is basically a broadly based political and metaphysical movement that recognizes that one of the primary problems that we have now in government is we inherited a legacy of official state secrecy as a result of the Cold War, and that that is now an anachronistic form of government, and we need to democratize information by creating a standard by which we would define when it is legitimate for government to maintain official state secrecy around a subject. The standard that I purport in my 100 proposals, A New Agenda for a New America, which is my campaign platform, is that the government would only be allowed to keep secrets from the people when the revelation of the information would, in an untoward way, harm or destroy individual and group privacy or would create or where revelation would create a clear and present danger of immediate irreparable harm in mm -hmm. other areas there would be no need for such secrecy so for example a prominent issue in the truth movement where its adherents believe the government is holding back information and should not be is in the area of the extraterrestrial situation make no mistake we are being visited by extraterrestrials my father was involved in the response to that reality as a Defense Department engineer. He was officially employed by the Ralph M. Parsons Company, but he was working on the aerospace response to the ET presence from October 1952 forward. And, and so I have personal knowledge within my own family um, of the extraterrestrial situation. Um, I, I wanted and, to get into that because... Uh, uh, was your father affiliated with the Dulce base? Uh, my father and I went down into the Dulce base in, in the, on the Archuleta Mesa in 1971, and there was nothing there. We, just, we went down the elevator, and there was over 100 floors of nothing. It, you know when you have like a three-story um, suburban shopping mall? And you have, you know, an elevator where you can kind of get a sense of the separate floors? Yeah. It was like going down a 100-story um, suburban shopping mall except it was entirely empty. So yes, that, that base exists. It's now said to include other things or contain other things, but it was absolutely vacant when we went there in 1971. So extraterrestrial disclosure is part of your campaign or part of your platform. When do you, when do you think the aliens came to Earth and when did this cover-up start? Some have been coming here since antiquity. I, when I was serving on DARPA's Project Pegasus, which was the U.S. time-space program at the time of the emergence of time travel in the U.S. defense technical community, a project in which alien liaison was actively going on. We were in liaison. We were 
consulting on a project basis with the tall grays. I attended a seminar that, re that, that revealed the same information to me as a New Jersey school child as was revealed to the Honorable Paul Hellyer, who was then serving as the Defense Minister of Canada. And that is that of the approximately 70 species that are visiting us, which was a figure cited in a space physics textbook that was used uh, to train our military pilots at the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs in the 1970s, four species are visiting us frequently, the tall grays, the small grays, the reptilians, also called the amphibians, and the Nordics. So there were actually briefings going on in different defense circles in North America in the early 70s about the fact that, uh, that, that dozens of species are visiting us, but four are visiting us frequently. So they've been coming since antiquity, but I think it's safe to say, based on the sighting evidence, that they've been visiting us uh, with much greater frequency since World War II. And what did we do during World War II that was so cosmically provocative? We um, began detonating nuclear weapons. And I think we, we got the attention of all those dozens of extraterrestrial civilizations that are now coming. But don't those, don't those four groups all have completely different agendas? I think they do. And, you know, Michael, Dr. Michael Sala has an excellent book out now about the covert Nazi uh, experimentation right. in anti-gravitic craft and also the factionalization that's occurred where, for example, you know, the, the United States has been helped by the Nordics and to some extent the tall and small greys, whereas the Nazi regime was aligned with the, <clears throat> with the reptilian faction. So uh, forgive me if I'm somewhat skeptical here. Have you ever actually encountered any of these, uh, these, these four kinds of aliens? Yes, that's where I was going with that. I think as a result of my father's work beginning in the early 50s on the aerospace response to the ET presence and my involvement in Project Pegasus, which was putting me in the domain that the ETs operate in, which is basically the domain of what we would call the quantum plenum, in other words, the subspaces of the time-space hologram as a result of time traveling, I am quite avowedly and opening revealing the fact, uh, openly revealing the fact, as a presidential candidate, that I was having contact with the small grays throughout childhood, and that in an arranged context, a kind of a um, a structured context, I had contact with the tall grays when I was serving on Project Pegasus, which of course was a secret defense project. So, what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say here is that from the perspective of the truth movement, mm -hmm. there's no question that we're being visited. I mean, the United States government itself revealed um, approximately 10,000 documents in the late 1980s showing that there were literally dozens of citing cases in which the technology could only have been attributable to an extraterrestrial civilization or civilizations. And I had, and my father and I had a sighting of a huge craft above our hometown of Morristown, New Jersey in the summer of 1967. And my father, as an expert witness, essentially, as somebody working on America's secret aerospace you know, plane projects, you know, we're literally working on things like the ramjet at Curtis Wright beginning in 1952 to, to 55. Uh, when we turned around and went back to, to complete our watching our, our New York Mets game after the 
the UFO base or extraterrestrial craft flew over our neighborhood, mm. being surrounded by three multiple rotor helicopters that looked size reference. They looked like the difference between three mosquitoes and a pelican. The ship oh. was that big. My father said, I can tell you this, son, that craft wasn't built by any country on this planet. And he, of course, was an expert witness. So there's no doubt that we're being visited, and that, that's my position, because I've encountered extraterrestrials, and my father, as an expert witness, during a dramatic sighting of a huge extraterrestrial craft above Morris Plains, New Jersey, provided his testimony that 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 craft couldn't was not from any country that was then building aerospace, uh, you know, devices um, on this planet. So, so, did you have actual physical contact with the the tall grays? When you mean physical contact, do you mean being in the same room? Yeah, like did they uh, teleport you onto the uh, the spacecraft? Did you get probed? Well, those types of the things were going on in the context of the small grays, and I actually, my father actually, we were Roman Catholics in faith, and we would mm-hmm. go to church every Sunday, and my father actually delayed uh, our going to 10 o'clock mass because when I got up, my pajamas were full of desiccated willow leaves because I had been placed in a hopper, kind of a bin, aboard their craft where apparently they had collected a biological specimen consisting of willow leaves. So I actually was questioned by my father as a learned Defense Department engineer about some of the abduction-type activity that was going on in my childhood. And uh, we ended up going late to church that that Sunday. But yes, I was having not only, well, primarily nocturnal contact. I had a couple daytime sightings of the Greys, like where they were in the house. And yes, I was aboard their craft. And so it's not just a matter of me being a believer. I'm an experiencer, and I'm quite open about that. I'm also open about not just my time travel experiences, but my one-off encounter with an adult male Sasquatch and his young son at Lake Sagandaga in the Adirondacks mountain range um, in the summer of 1966. And I like to, uh, in fact, boast about the fact that I'm the first presidential candidate since Theodore Roosevelt who has publicly affirmed the existence of Sasquatch and described my encounter. TR had an encounter with Sasquatch during his so-called Great North American Ape Expedition, where one of the members of his of his expedition party uh, went into the woods as they were sitting around the campfire at night to relieve himself, and while coming back into the camp, actually frightened a Bigfoot or accidentally chased a Bigfoot into their encampment. I had I was at arm's length to two Sasquatch as a very small child, and I have no doubt that they were not modern humans, although they possessed somewhat human characteristics, and they were in fact the type two Sasquatch that's emerged in the Sasquatch literature. We it's now have that uh, that you got scared away because Teddy Roosevelt would pretty much shoot anything with fur, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, that was. <laughs> It was good that he was running when he was anywhere near TR because TR was quite a quite quite the the great white hunter, wasn't he? Yeah, avid hunter. What what, what is a type two Sasquatch? The type two are the ones that look most human. They basically have kind of um, kind of a laconic face with a mouth that's straight and lower than it would be on our face, and their their heads are both larger and longer than ours. Uh, and they're covered with fur around the face and then over the body. But, you know, to a four-year-old who was almost five, I would, I would, that was about August of 66, I would turn five that September. 
they were so human looking and acting that they didn't frighten me, even as apes. I considered them a type of human being. So I had encountered them as I was walking to the outhouse. And as I came out of the outhouse, they were standing with the adult on my right and his young son on my left. And they were so human that the adult made a kind of a jabbing gesture with his right hand with the palm up towards his young son, as if to say, you know, this is my boy look, you're the same age, you should play with him, or here's my son. It was a very human communicative gesture. And so because of that, they didn't frighten me, and I, I simply walked around his son and walked back to our campsite and told my father that there were there were two... Uh, there was a, Hairy beings. You know, yeah, I just yeah. had this encounter up near the, near the outhouse. But so, you know, I'm dedicated to the truth. I'm not running a paranormal campaign. I'm certainly not the time travel or the teleportation um, candidate for, for, for president. Uh, I've published 100 proposals. They're at andy2016.com forward slash proposals. And I think it's safe to say that except for Marco Rubio, I'm the only candidate who's actually published a written plan of what I would tr try to achieve as president. So, but I am dedicated to the truth. I believe that our government has become dysfunctional and has lost the faith of the American people because we are being oppressed by official state secrecy. So for me, the analogy between the truth movement of today and the abolition movement of the election of 1860 is that the, the problem in, the 18, in 1860 was physical oppression via slavery. The problem today is meta, metaphysical oppression via secrecy. Well, so let me ask you something, um, <clears throat> Andy. Um, you know, the country barely survived uh, Watergate, you know, when that was made public. Now, considering, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the terrible things that we, we know for a fact that the CIA did and actually have some proof but can't really prove it because the documents were destroyed, like MKUltra, how do you think if all of everything comes to light, uh, people are going to handle that? Will the country even survive that? I th we've survived a lot. I mean, we've survived – a number of serious wars and, 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 and moral crises and constitutional crises. We're a strong country. We're a capable country. What did RFK say during his last speech? You know, we're a good country. Um, we're, we're a generous country. We're a selfless people. Uh, I, I have great faith in the American people, and I don't believe that the country will fall apart if the government finally tells the truth to the people. I believe that that the people have the right to two things that are being held back. They have a right to the true history, the true natural history of the cosmos we inhabit, and the government has been denying the people that by maintaining things like extraterrestrial secrecy. The second thing that I believe that they have a human right and certainly a political right to as you know, citizens in our, of our republic certainly. is they have a right to okay. know what, the, what has been achieved technically in Go our ahead. civilization. Yeah, that, that, you know, that's what I was wondering about. It's, do you think the government's able to conceal this technology from the people? Uh, the, the, the fact that they've, they, that they've mastered quantum engineering when they can't even pass like a mutually accepted health care plan? 
that's often said. But look, during the Manhattan Project, the Manhattan Project had 64,000 employees. And during the war, there was not a single revelation of the atomic bomb project. The, in fact, that occurred after the war with the Klaus Fuchs spy ring and the KGB compromise of the and infiltration of the Los Alamos National Labs. I am the first major whistleblower in Project Pegasus, but I have statements from 12 people who were either on the project or who um, um, have knowledge as you know, from people who were in need-to-know positions. And I have two fellow whistleblowers from the Mars Jumpering Program. So in answer to your question, no, I've precipitated, I've initiated a process inside of government in which I have essentially ended the CIA's time travel and Mars visitation cover-up. So the answer is, even when projects are kept small, all it takes is one whistleblower and then others start coming forward and you can research and call people who are on the project and ask for their confirmation. So in my book, I'm going to show the, the different things that were said by different knowledgeable people confirming that Project Pegasus existed, it involved time travel technologies, and that I was in it. The fact that I was in the Mars Jump Room program 10 years later has already been affirmed by co-participants. So in answer to your question, I don't think ultimately, especially in an internet-linked world, that certain forms of government secrecy, like the existence of a particular defense project, can be kept secret. And that's why I believe we should transition the U.S. intelligence community more to open source intelligence and get beyond this bias, this abiding uh, you know, standard operating procedure of the Cold War and begin telling mm. the truth to the American people. So you mentioned time travel real quick here. Um, where have you time traveled? Like uh, to what, what era or what years? I know you went to, you went to what, 1880s, you said? They were utilizing different devices because the Tesla teleporter would strand somebody in the past. They'd be lost in time if you use that device to jump people before the advent of that device. Practically speaking, they would be trapped in the past. So different devices like chronovisors and the plasma confinement chamber, which temporarily embed somebody in the past, were developed. So the farthest back I went in the past via chronovisor in this kind of physical, virtual, holographic form of time travel was to 100 million BC in, in prehistoric Arizona, where I literally observed two long-necked dinosaurs chomping on tall grass, about blades of grass that were like 20 feet tall. The farthest I went physically to the future via an advanced teleporter, which the project was calling a Stargate, was to the year 2045, because Project Pegasus decide, decided to establish a forward base 100 years after the end of World War II. So they actually had a team of people in 2045 <coughs> Excuse me. That in the summer of 1972, I was regularly taking the Stargate at Cerritos, New Mexico, and visiting an intelligence community office in 2045, and taking back to the present, namely to summer of 1972, micro microfilmed summaries of events and conditions and prominent personalities falling between the mid-1970s and the mid-2040s. And this is actually one of the really pertinent facts about the advent of time travel in the early 70s, is time travel gave the United States government a history of the future. And it's been operating covertly in view of that knowledge ever since. But um, a couple of questions, because you, 
the Tesla uh, time travel device, was that the same one that they used for the Philadelphia experiment where like you'd come back and then like half of your legs would be embedded in the wall or something, you know? <laughs> well, there was, there was an experiment during World War II right. uh, that became the the urban, not the urban legend, but the, the disinformation ploy that the Office of Naval Intelligence crafted that became known as the Philadelphia experiment. It wasn't uh, around radar invisibility of the Eldridge. It was around Tesla teleportation of the Martha's Vineyard because they wanted to find a way to move our ships out of the way of Nazi mines when the Nazi Navy began chaining ordnance to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. So there was a Tesla experiment. It resulted in the impalement of one of the sailors on a support column of the splash cowling inside you know, the captain's master in front of the captain's master of the ship. Uh, and that gave rise to the changing of the name of the ship, who was in the ship. Actually, Tes uh, not, not Tesla, but Teller and Oppenheimer were inside the, the vessel. You know, not von Neumann, Tesla, or Einstein. It wasn't in Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. It was in Long Island Sound. When they turned it down, it didn't go back to Norfolk, Virginia, it went back to Newport News, Virginia, etc. So when that event happened, within the view of several hundred sailors that they didn't want to have to assassinate to keep you know, Tesla teleportation secret, what they did is they spun it into an unrecognizable form as an actual event by then scripting the Philadelphia experiment story that's come down to us. But yes, Tesla teleportation is a real technology. It opens up vortal tunnels in the fabric of time space, and it was fully operational by 1970. And I did it probably around 40 round trips, from 40 or 50 round trips from from Woodridge, New Jersey to the Santa Fe State Capitol grounds. And then we would come home via an identical teleport at the Sandia National Labs near the Kirtland Air Force Base northeast of Albuquerque, New Mexico. So, so if you're able to teleport into the future, did, could, were, did you encounter any cures for cancer or for, for AIDS or, or any other diseases? No, but I, I don't know because... I was retrieving microfilm summaries that were encrypted, and during our training, they actually took a sample of the microfilm out of one of the canisters, and the training officer you know, ended up depositing about 600 feet of microfilm at his feet. And then he let us take, look it up, take, take it and look at it up at the light, and we could see it was encrypted with all kinds of barcodes and numbers and symbols. So mm. even if I had despoiled the microfilm that I was taking back to the present to try to see what was on it. I wouldn't be able to because it was encrypted. But actually, your question goes to one of the major points that's, that is in the interests of the American people and the people of our, of our planet, which is that since we've had the ability to go to the future and retrieve things like medical information, medical cures since 1970, why haven't we been and why have we been living in this, you know, this vaccinated reality where a certain number of people are vaccinated, die, you know, from septic shock or get the, the target illness or are paralyzed or develop a seizure disorder or autism or what have you. In other words, why haven't we used time travel creatively to go and mm. get things like cures for dread diseases and, and, and um, medical technologies to augment people who've been injured and you know with prosthesis and so forth or that's just one of the bureaucratic efficiency i mean i think it'd make more sense if they'd given you guys like iphones instead of microfilm cameras <laughs> well yeah but but you know that that's really one of the leading sort of 
public interest questions about why that that is germane to the fact that these time travel devices were weaponized and kept sacred. We haven't benefited from technology transfer from the future, including medical technology. So you said that they have the future mapped out, but in the article it says that every time you traveled, it was actually like a alternate, slightly alternate timeline. Well, that's not really accurate. That was true of the chronovisors when we would go to the past or the future. Mm. But look, they I, I know to a personal certainty because I interacted with the following presidents shortly after they were apprised of their presidencies, namely Presidents Bush, Clinton, Bush, and Obama, that for, for over 40 years, they have been apprising future presidents of their destinies as president. So the sum total of the application of the eight different modalities of time travel that DARPA's Project Pegasus developed gave them enough of an understanding of the future to be able to predict with certainty certain outcomes. It was simply one form of the, t of the time travel technologies, the chronovisors, that were basically always getting a different slice, a, a different dimension in the quantum hologram when, for example, they would try to access an event. Like, for example, they were in summer of 71, they were sending me repeatedly to Ford's Theater to try to get behind the Lincoln's balcony seating and see who shot President Lincoln. And every time they sent me to the theater, you know, our American cousin storing Laura, Laura Keene was being performed that night. It was Ford's Theater. And President Lincoln was shot in the back of the head by somebody during each of those visits. But the smaller things going on in the, in the theater and the lobby and so forth were constantly changing. So that's what I was referring to is I when I was on the project, they couldn't control Chronovision any more to, to get a certain dimension, namely this dimension, any more than we can control our Venetian blinds to perfectly direct a shaft of light in, in, you know, into our living room. It was a kind of an imprecise process when it emerged. So and, and let's, let's get back to your campaign. Where do you think it's going to go from here? Do you, like, do you think you would ever be invited to participate in any of the debates? Like, how, how will you get your message out about your platform? Well, this, admittedly, uh, this go-round has just been a learning exercise. I, I assembled a small team of a campaign manager and a chief of staff slash speechwriter, a very small team. And we decided early on on a campaign that would be directed by social media, my website, and primarily talk radio, although I've done a number of TV shows. But mm -hmm. the problem we knew was money, which I didn't have. And this was just sort of an experiment to, to learn how the presidential race is structured, what the FEC filing requirements are, the fundraising guidelines, the process of running. And quite frankly, in addition to money, the problem for a spirited independent like me is the fact that of the roughly 1,500 people who filed, there's probably about 300 that the permanent secret government could work with as president. So what they do is they select a group of about 20, mm -hmm. which is what we saw. We saw like 17 or 18 Republicans and two Democrats. They throw together that team and then they run them through these um, through this debate process that I think was actually quite demeaning and has been demeaning. And then they select some front runners and then they select. Then the nominees are voted. So, in a, in addition to money being a prob problem, one of the problems as an as an independent is there's a tacit legitimization process that is completely non or unconstitutional that goes on that's pretty much determined 
by the mainstream media and basically the Beltway. I mean, the only non-Beltway insiders that they've let into the debates have been two very prominent business people, Donald Trump and Carly Fiorina of Hewlett Packard. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, somebody like me who's been practicing law for a quarter of a century with a perfect disciplinary history, who's a, a leading figure in the truth movement, who has an actual campaign platform that numbers a hundred well-crafted, well-thought-out proposals of how to govern our country. There's no guarantee that we get any coverage because we're not part of that beltway sort of self-justifying legitimization script or mind control program that the, the permanent secret government runs on the people every four years. But, but I was – so I was running in anticipation of running in 2020, 2024, and 2028, and as a result of a, of a legal case that I'm now handling, I may have significantly more funding to run again in 2020. But I had no illusions that I was going to break in. But if, if, if I may recommend something, I mean, if you can time travel, why not just go to the future, get an almanac, then come back? Well, I can't Maybe. because I was in the U.S. time space program from age six to 11. And I, and I first teleported 45 years ago. And I last teleported about about. Well, no, I started in 1968. So what was that? That was, uh, God, well, let's do like the math. 50 years ago. It was a while ago. Yeah. 46 years ago, whatever whatever the math is on that. 48 years ago. Okay, so I don't have access to the technology now. So even though that's a very funny question, I, I can't comply because I'm simply a civilian now. But in those days, I was serving in the classified defense-related research and development project where time travel was developed. And so I've served my country, and um, and yet I can't get reported on as a serious candidate for president because I'm not a plutocrat, you know, a billionaire like Donald Trump, and I'm not a political hack like the senators and, and governors and so forth who ran this time. So, so, Andy, how can people donate to your campaign? They can visit uh, they, they can visit andy2016.com forward slash donate, or they can simply make a PayPal donation to Andy. Let me let me repeat that to andy.andy2016 at gmail.com. Two quick questions just before we end. Um, yes. God, I have yes. so many. We'll have to do another call at some point. But uh, was Dulles involved in the Kennedy assassination and uh, – like, is it true what David Icke says and that uh, reptilians are posing as prominent um, humans? And if so, who are some of them? Well, those are very tough questions yeah. and they're a little bit out of my bailiwick. Okay. But I'll say that I think that the books that have been written, for example, by Roger Stone and um, Philip Nelson, establishing that the assassination of President Kennedy was ultimately led by President Johnson – are true. In other words, I've done extensive investigations of my own on the assassination of President Kennedy, and I follow the, the LBJ line of research. Certainly, Dulles was angry that he had been fired by Kennedy, uh, just as the Cabell brothers, the assistant director of CIA and the, may the, uh, well, the mayor of Dallas at the time of the assassination, were angry that Cabell at CIA had been fired by Kennedy. It's also conspicuous that Dulles, <clears throat> as an alienated member of the upper reaches of the U.S. intelligence community, ends up on the Warren Report, which was obviously a ploy to rubber stamp the FBI's single gunman theory 
fingering Lee Harvey Oswald. Let me just share something interesting that I can add um, about the a couple things that I discovered personally about the Kennedy assassination since you asked about the Kennedy assassination. And that is I had a conversation with Vincent Bugliosi, the former L.A. prosecutor mm-hmm. and author of many books, including a 1,600-page study of the Kennedy assassination that placed the onus of the assassination all on the single gunman theory involving Lee Harvey Oswald. And curiously, despite that premise, Bugliosi told me in September of 2015, about nine months before his death in June of 2016, or excuse me, 2014, before his death in June of 2015, that um, the entire, this is a direct quote from Bugliosi via me, the entire JFK assassination research community has been infiltrated by army intelligence. Mm. Now, now, why would that be? Uh, so I just share that with you. Another thing I developed in, in, independently in my own research into the Kennedy assassination, which is a fact that I've shared with some of the leading researchers, including Jim Mars, author of Crossfire, on which uh, Oliver Stone's movie JFK was based, uh, is that during World War II, Jefferson Davis Tippett, the Dallas policeman who allegedly was also killed that day by Lee Oswald, without question received marksmanship training because he was a member of the 17th Airborne Division. My father served on the 13th in the 13th Airborne Division. And both of those divisions received marksmanship training after their air wings were pirated for parts to sustain the 101st and the 82nd Airborne Divisions, which had worked their way up through Italy and then into France as battle-hardened troops. So the badge man photograph released by Nigel Turner of the BBC in his famous series, The Men Who Killed Kennedy, could have very well been Tippett, and then part of the practical conspiracy to conceal who was involved in the assassination may then have involved the killing of Tippett as one of the gunmen. But I just shared that with your listeners, that I I uncovered the fact that J.D. Tippett, almost without question, received marksmanship training during World War II. And I have my dad's medal where he qualified in rifle and in pistol. They were actually little bars that were hung from a medal that looked sort of like a German cross. Hmm. Now, in terms of your reptilian question, yes, I believe that there's a reptilian substrate in all of us, but I believe it may be prominent in certain bloodlines because one of the things that went on for much of recent, you know, last thousand years of European history that at the end of each bloodletting, like the Thirty Years' War, they would take, like, for example, the most successful soldiers or cavalry officers or whatever, and they would marry them into the royal and noble bloodlines. So it's possible that there's been an artificial selection for reptilian traits, for reptilian viciousness and cold-bloodedness in the European monarchical and noble bloodlines. For example, the Prussian nobility has given us the four major you know, Germanic monarchical bloodlines, the Saxe-Coburg Gothas, the Hesse Castles, the Grand Duchy of Oldenburg, and the House of Nassau, which is the, the Dutch royal house, the House of Orange. Yeah, that, that would explain a lot about white people, you know? Yes, and, you know, <laughs> well, mo- white people... 
Caucasians are, because of that die-off around 400 AD from that volcanic eruption where there were nuclear winter conditions for a couple years, and there was a massive food shortage with massive cannibalism and people eating rotten vegetables and everything else, the European population was diminished to 25,000 individuals. And as a result, all European-descended people are within one thirty-second of a cousin relationship. So there were these hmm. natural and artificial uh, selection processes in European history that very well could have produced a reptilian um, predominance in some bloodlines that's also expressed in terms of the political and economic oligarchy. So I don't think that David's, David Icke's premise is that far off. Um, my grandmother, this is, I'm talking out of school here, but my grandmother was ultimately an Orsini, which is one of the Italian papal bloodlines, and she had a deformed left foot, and I'm sorry to say, it looked like a dinosaur's foot. So, now, I'm not a reptilian, I don't shapeshift, and I didn't grow up in any kind of occult context besides serving in the time travel project with my father from the other side of my family, the Polish side of my lineage. But there clearly could be a situation where the reptilian traits that we all possess are more pronounced in some pe bloodlines and people merely because those bloodlines were created around the survivors of these mass bloodlettings in European history. I mean, during the Thirty Years' War, one-third of the European, European population died. Imagine what the die-off was in Germany. Mm. That's where all mm. those really dominant, really vicious, really athletic Waffen-SS came from. They were from all these, you know, the von Stauffenbergs. They were all from um, the, the noble Prussian bloodlines, the ducal families with the von in front of their names, which means from, that was that created Prussia as 300 ducal estates at the conclusion of the Thirty Years' War in 1648 under the Treaty of Westphalia. And so, you know, just 300 years before the emergence of, let's say, the current House of Windsor, there was a huge die-off in Europe in which these monarchical bloodlines out of Germany were actually established. So, yeah, I think David Icke may be on the right track in, in identifying that that phenomenon in, in human history. Do you think the uh, Queen of England's partially reptilian? I don't know. I did see her on VE Day plus 50. She drove right past me. I was standing by the Achilles statue near Hyde Park, and she drove by in this beautiful maroon Bentley, my God, by herself. Hmm. And she looked over oh, and waved, and I, I, I smiled and waved at her. I was in my Cambridge shirt, and of course her husband, the Duke of Edinburgh, is the chancellor of Cambridge University. So she could see readily that I was a Cambridge student standing there. That was in um, on May 8th of 95, 50 years after the end of the war in Europe. And she looked very human to me, so she was certainly in her human form at that time. I wouldn't hazard a guess, but I, I should also note, you asked me about specific individuals. There is some footage that there's some bloodline, whether it's off-planet or just from our own species, that has pink irises and that is utilizing contact lenses to disguise them. And Michael Chertoff, the first director of Homeland Security, is seen in one of his YouTube interviews blinking and his contact, his large contact lenses kind of stick downward on his eyes and you can see his pink irises. I've detected this in some people I've met as well. So there's some stratum of the human race or some off-planet group of humanoids that have come here 
who have pink irises and are disguising that fact. So that may relate to the same issue of these covert bloodlines. Jesus. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Hillary Rodham Clinton was uh, partially reptilian. I mean, just well, looking at her, she kind of looks like a lizard person. She's a, I, I don't know if there's ever been any evidence that she is some, in some way shape-shifting into reptilian form or whatever. But, you know, she's certainly a very aggressive, ambitious, um, cold-blooded <laughs> person. I mean, look at the accounts in Roger Morris's book, Partners in Power, of Hillary doing things like, you know, throwing uh, marble you know, onyx uh, ashtrays and paperweights at Secret Service agents just for them, you know, coming into her, her room and violating her personal privacy. I mean, she seems to be very, a very strong-willed, vicious woman. Yeah. And it, I don't think that's the kind of individual we want to elect to the highest office in our country. That's one of the reasons I'm running. I think that this permanent political class is not only corrupted by money and opportunism, but consists of a lot of people who are power-hungry people who have wanted to be president since they were 16 years old. I don't think that's a healthy uh, model for government. I think, again, we should, we should look to people of virtue and talent and try to convince them to serve for go in government for a time, which was the original model. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Well, Andy, thanks for taking the time to chat with us this morning, and best of luck with your campaign. Andy2016.com yeah, is, is, is your website. People, you can learn more about Andy's new agenda there. Um, take care, and thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Thank Andy. you so much, Dean and Harrison. Have, have a great day. to your sex life? Go to adamandeve.com. You'll get 50% off your purchase, free shipping, two adult DVDs, and a product so sensual, we can't even mention it on this podcast. No, no. Just type the coupon code DIDDLE upon checkout. All right, Harrison, we got some phone calls to get to. 206-666-3846 is that number. Uh, the first call is a follow-up from that guy in the UK that got catfished. Remember He's that? the fire starter. Yeah, the fire starter. Hi, guys. It's the Twisted Fire Starter again, just calling with a follow-up message. By the way, I really like that moniker, so I'm, I'm going to have that. So cheers, Harrison. Um, you guys are talking about Little Britain, and, um, yeah, I just wanted to tell you that the, the two men you were thinking of were David Walliams and Matt Lucas. The fuck is... What? Uh, did, you've never seen Little Britain? No. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I think when we were talking about this, I was saying that the, the woman that he met, or I guess the, the transgender person that he met on, uh, that he was catfished by, mm. reminded me of one of the Chav characters that uh, Matt Lucas plays in Little Britain. But I, of course, I was una unable to name either one of the actors, I could just kind of describe them as like this. I think he said, I think I said an overweight chav. I think is how I described him. This guy knew is Matt Lucas and David Williams. All right. Good show. And the, the chabby woman that Matt Lucas plays is Vicky Pollard. 
Vicky Pollard, um, yeah. Yeah, if, if you take away the ginger hair and the tracksuit, then, yeah, that pretty much was the girl that I went on a date with. <laughs> but funnily enough, I, um, some of my friends reckon they knew this guy who was apparently like, the stupidest guy on earth. I, I don't know how true this is. Uh, it might be complete bollocks, but this is what I got told. Apparently, this guy actually went out with uh, this girl, Rhea, uh, the, the pre-op transsexual that I went out with. Mm. Um, but he, he was in a, a relationship with her for about two months. And mm. apparently, they'd have sex and everything, and he had no idea that, that um, she had a knob. Well, wait wait a second. Hold on a second. How is that possible? It's not. Well, you, you've hooked up with a transgendered, right? Transgendered person? Sort of. Sort of. You wouldn't call it hooking up? Okay. Well, okay. When you hooked, did she just give you a blowjob and you had no idea, like they what what lay beneath her panties? No, I I knew what was going on. Okay, so you knew. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. How could a a, a a a trans person hide her her penis if she didn't have a you know if she is pre-op? I mean, like if you're if you're having sex with them. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. This two might months. Be- I don't know, Swansea, where everybody's drunk and I'm like six grams of heroin every fucking second of the day. So. I suppose it is the UK. Yeah. And I've seen some of the uh, the Welsh birds and the northern birds. So, hey, you know what? Maybe he was so drunk he had no idea. <laughs> you know, they have sex with sheep over there. Because, uh, yeah, apparently she'd say, oh, I'm, I'm on my period, so can you put it in my ass? And then she'd sort of strap away the knob and bollocks. Oh, see, he's, now he's explaining it. Yeah, but it still yeah. doesn't make any sense But to me. most people have sex in the dark. I can see how most, most people, people have sex in the dark, but what I'm saying, even in the dark, wouldn't you still see balls? Would you see testicles when you're, when you're having sex? What is that Ben Franklin sex? quote, all great cats look alike in the dark or something like that? Okay, okay, maybe, but I don't see yeah. how that's applicable here. Okay. <laughs> like I, I could tell that I'm having sex yeah. with a with a woman's vagina or, or a woman's asshole versus a, a man's asshole or man's vagina. I mean, you could see balls. Like, you could feel balls. This guy must have drank, I don't know how many wife beaters. Hmm. 30 wife beaters to not, to, to, to not realize this. Uh, here's the actual quote, just by the way. And as in the dark, all cats are gray... The pleasure of corporeal enjoyment with an old woman is at least equal and frequently superior, every knack being by practice capable of improvement. That's yep. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I see what he's saying. You just yeah, turn yeah. the lights off and yeah. you can have sex with, with Hillary Clinton and, uh, and have no idea that you're having sex with her. Okay. It feels the same. So, yeah. Ben Franklin was a freaky man. He was. He was. I wonder if Adams knew about this. You know, they should have dug up Ben Franklin. Sounds like more fun. I, I guess so, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It, it sounds like nonsense to me, but could be true. I've met people that thick before. All right. Cheers, guys. Peace. Well, this mm. guy better watch out who he's meeting online. It's, it's kind of funny that not only this guy fell for the catfish, but he's had several friends that also met this girl. Right. Like, who, what, what is, I don't know. I shudder to think what OkCupid okay must be like over there. I saw Tinder. What, what part of the UK is this guy in? I'm not sure. Yeah. But I, I, I've seen Tinder on that continent, and it's not something that I, I, I really want to see again. Right. If, I, if it could be avoided. <laughs> um, all right. The, the, next, uh, the next call here is um, it's a follow-up, actually, about the Tokyo strip club scene. I think okay. we were talking about the Tokyo Maid Cafe a week ago or two weeks ago. 
and I, and I think I was uh, speculating as in, do, do they have strip clubs, like real strip clubs in Tokyo? So this guy uh, responded. Did you go to a strip club when you, when you were there? No. No? Okay. Not, I don't really like strip clubs, to be honest. Yeah, they don't I, really do anything for me. You know, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan either, mm-hmm. even, even though I worked at one for a few years. Yeah. But sometimes when you're in like a foreign country, it's in a unique experience. Yeah. yeah I, I went to one in Prague and it was kind of scary. Like these huge Russians right. manage it, and you can go in. And I was wondering, is this even a strip club or is this a bordello? Because I couldn't tell. It was creepy. I mean, it was unsettling. I wouldn't say it was a positive experience, but it was an experience nonetheless. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, what a uh, Tokyo strip club would be like. All right. Well, let's let's see. Hey. So listening to your latest podcast, um, and you're talking about Tokyo and the uh, and the and the maid sort of cafes and that and I, I went by myself to Tokyo and it was quite interesting I went into one of those just by myself very very awkward I only stayed about 10-15 minutes uh, the girl couldn't speak any any English at all and uh, I kind of just made my way out of there pretty soon it's really really weird experience but talking about strip clubs now that is a completely different experience Basically, uh, I found one, um, and I decided to go in. Now, it's it's a different format to anything I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you walk in, and there's a little round circle stage uh, that the girls come out on, and they dance. Basically, they come in in a fantasy dress sort of starter first song, uh, then strip down to their next piece of uh, gear, which is usually lingerie or swimming costume, and it's sort of like a athletic gymnastic parade they do and then they go onto the floor and strip naked and they don't actually dance on the pole or anything they just lie there different positions spreading their legs doggy style positions all the while while this little round stage comes up and lifts them up into the air and they're just on this little round stage like you would have an action figure sort of thing on uh, just twirling them around in wow, circles like so you can see yeah it's, yeah it's like literally they're on display like uh like a pedestal or their bits and well, i was just reading an article to, i mean it's japan i mean any like i was reading an article today about you know these these you probably don't know because you don't know but the, there's uh, these Japanese games called visual novels, which are which are kind of like uh, you know, like role playing games. But they're all kind of like so like some of them are for women, for like girls. Like you could date all these different guys, and some of them are for men, which are just like the mo- you know, which basically, if you if you look at them, they essentially justify uh, the extermination of our gender on the planet. One of them, I was reading an article called uh, the name of this game is called suck my dick or die <laughs> that is the name of the game well these are the guys that actually write you know they, they create hentai porn right i mean that has to come from somewhere wow so what's weird about this is like this is the ultimate objectification yeah yeah you know, they're just raising these women up, up on a pedestal and you're just, i wonder if you're allowed to jerk off and well in in these clubs and watch them yeah all the audience is sat in like a horseshoe shape uh, audience seating plan around the um, around it's just it's around the stage and it's just completely and utterly mental um, by the way my name's Lee uh, live in the UK South African born and I'm in the British Army Sofkin born yeah, I'm not sure what that means okay 
Um, hopefully nobody recognises my voice on this. Um, <laughs> added to that, I've got loads of stories about um, Afghan and uh, shit stories, obviously. And basically, I just wanted to phone in. This is my first ever time, and I just want to say appreciate the podcast. Yeah, it really helps on my long, long drives I do uh, weekly, back and forth from work. Um, and yeah, I appreciate the work and keep up the keep it up, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, have a good day. See ya. Well, thanks All for right. the call there. We always like to support the troops. You know what I want to hear more about is I want to hear more some some more Afghani stories. You know, I've I've read that uh, that that U.S. soldiers and um, and British soldiers, I imagine too, you have to be over there in Afghanistan, and and their pedophilia is somewhat tolerated. It's kind of a gray area. And so mm. you'll, you know, you'll, you'll be hanging out with or training Afghan, like, you know, members of the Afghan army and someone will just show up with like an eight year old that, that it's obvious that they're having relations with. And you just have to be like, that's cool. It's a, it's a cultural thing. Yeah. That's, that's totally fine that you have a dancing eight year old that you, uh, violate on a regular basis, but Hey, you know, big deal that's when shit, in Rome. That's just annoying. Cause I've always wanted to go to Cambodia, but I don't want people to think you know what I mean? Like I don't. I just want to go there to like do drugs and go to old temples in the jungle. You know, but I, I'm just saying, just looking at you walking around Cambodia, that's the first thing that I know. I don't even want like the guys <laughs> for one reason looking at me and thinking that like that's why I don't go. That's why Seriously, I don't go. you're like a Nambla poster man. Like I am not. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm saying if you were in yeah. Thailand, like Bangkok, or what do Cambodia, I look like? Stephen King? Is that what you're saying? I would say don't wear a trench coat. Like just kind of wear a normal jacket. I stopped wearing like, a trench coat ten fucking years ago, <laughs> when I when I when I threw my black leather duster in the fucking garbage. All right, just walking around with like a bag of uh, Skittles. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I don't think you should go there. But you know, to be honest, this uh, getting back to this strip club thing, does that sound really that different from an American strip club? Like, except here we're throwing crumpled dollar bills at the woman and screaming at her. Right. I mean, it's it's basically just a girl on stage and a bunch of perverts. Surrounding her, yeah, in the know. erection section. I mean, it just sounds pretty, pretty much like a run-of-the-mill strip club to me. Yeah, any any country you go to, men will pay money to see a naked woman. Wow, that's quite an insight there. Yeah, Mr. but I Simon. mean, any country. That's what I'm saying. It's like any country strip clubs are pretty much the same. I think the difference is is uh, whether or not sex is legal at them. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's it's, true. And uh, the amount of drugs that you can easily obtain. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know what I would what I would like to know though is, uh, do they have themed outfits? I wonder if they're all like schoolgirls. They must have like themed outfits. Uh, a lot of the when when I was given that weird brochure when I was there of like the different things you could get, at least half of it was schoolgirl themed stuff. Do you think they do like uh, like Pokemon or Domo or something? Um, I hope so. I mean, you know. I wouldn't mind going to a strip club like that. Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to have a three-way with Bulbasaur and Squirtle. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, if I could actually be able to live that fantasy, that would be fantastic. That sounds hot. Yeah. Anyway, uh, um, good to hear from you. Uh, The last uh, call we got is about, um, it's about Red Wings. A guy earned his Red Wings. Right. The Harrison. Um, Sorry. Smoking a bowl here. Got a story Happy bro. about my uh, Red Wings experience. I lost. I lost my Red Wings virginity last night. 
So, uh, I would. Hold on a second. Yeah. Isn't that like um, a proper grammar there? Is that, is that, is that proper like uh, terminology to lose your red wing virginity? Isn't it you gain your red wings? That's what I've always is, thought. Is that what it is? I'm not sure. I mean, what, what have you heard? I haven't really heard that much about it, to be honest. From what I've heard, yeah. it's like, I got my Red Wings this weekend. It's not something that uh, you know I, I would tell many people, but it's not necessarily something you should be ashamed of. I think it's usually like, I was really drunk this weekend. I went down on a girl yeah. who was ragging, and I got my Red Wings. But this guy's saying, I lost my Red Wing virginity. Like, he was holding out. He's been holding out all this time. Like, every time a girl's been on the rag, he's like, I'm not going anywhere near there. Well, I'll have, I'll have to check the fucking MLA style guide for the verdict on that. <laughs> I'll let you know. Well, well, I'm using this online app, and I meet this bitch online. I'm not going to specify which app, because they're all the fucking same. And it's all heartache, either way. Ain't so, that the uh, truth? Yeah, he sounds quite as bitter as you do. Yeah. Yeah. I meet this bitch online, we meet up, and... We go and we take a tug. You know, Harrison, it's interesting because you're always complaining that you never actually meet up with any girl on OkCupid or Tinder or any of that. This guy refers to all the women that he meets as bitch. Could you imagine what his conversation must be with them? Um, And it's working out, obviously. He met the girl to go uh, smoke weed. Right. I bet you he literally says something like, yo, bitch, you look fine. Let's uh, puff some herb tonight. Right. And then that works. I think you overdo it because you're asking them questions about like uh, obscure, you know, records from the night, like psych rock records from the 1970s or something. Yeah. You know, or don't try to be intelligent or complimenting them uh, based on, you know, that that, that they they look like various third Reich officials. You know, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. You know? Yeah. All you got to say is, yo, bitch, you look fine. Um, Let's go puff some herb. Well, remember when, um, remember that episode of uh, Fresh Prince where Will uh, was writing, po- he, he, he was uh, bringing in poetry to school, but it was actually poetry that his, his buddy Jazz had written. Wait, are you saying it? Uh, and it was like roses, but, but the only Jazzy one, Jeff wrote you know, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he actually wrote some decent poetry, but then when he ran out, he had to just say, roses are red, violets are blue. Let's go get some barbecue and get busy. And, that and the, okay, that's what the, what, uh, the Fresh Prince... That sounds like it has a higher degree of, of, uh, of uh, possibility that it might work than it would with uh, this guy. Yeah. You know, with, with what you're trying to do. Your stratagem. Well, I don't know who, you know who are the women this guy's going after. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, I guess I question the caliber. Yeah. And uh, time passes by. Man, it's getting grim now. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's like Christ. it's taking a very bleak turn. Time passes by and time makes fools of us all. <laughs> as we doth wither in the sunlight. Her face could not stand the test of time. <laughs> Got in my car and, uh, you know, go for a little drive. After the drive, we go take a park and uh, smoochy smooch and uh, things go from there. I'm making a noose right now. Like <laughs> no, I was just about making, to say, I'm, did someone yeah. just report you for suicide yeah, on uh, Facebook? They did. Yeah, some some guy. I don't know if it's a listener. Reported it's a, of Harrison. It's a listener. Well, well, okay. They're the I, only people on that account. Okay, you know? so so there's a listener out there. Yeah. Who reported Harrison to Facebook for suicide? Yes. Like a potential suicide risk, right? right. 
What happens? Why what? there was a headline in the news that was like, you know, Kylie Jenner wears colorful wigs to first weekend of Coachella, and um, and then I had said uh, I, I'm going to be. Re- I'll be further reporting on this story in my suicide note. It's obviously a joke, you know. <laughs> so someone reported that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what happened? Well, like, let's say it's like seventy-five percent a joke. All right. Did Zuckerberg like personally come to your house and hold you? Uh, he did. Yeah. <laughs> Just rub your head. Yeah. <laughs> while you cried in his shoulder. <laughs> no, but don't they do something? They they send you like uh, like a quiz, right? Yeah, you have or to fill out. You have to click a bunch of things, and it's. I shouldn't even say it because then everyone's just going to be reporting everything I do until I just give up. I swear it yeah. wasn't me. I swear. Just right, right now, let me get this out there. It was not hosting, me. I, I swear to God, hosting this show is like being, uh, it's like, you know, teaching uh, troubled teens at an inner city high school. It's being in know? a glass house. Yeah. In a it's, fishbowl. It's welcome back, Cotter, but without <laughs> any of the positive things. Yeah. Our sweat hogs yeah. are assholes. I'm taking liver pills now. You know? So this guy is pushing Harrison just one step closer to the edge. Yeah. Before I know it, I'm uh, now start eating a pussy and I'm really getting into it and uh, I'm not even noticing what's going on. Well, this is interesting. So he's completely lost track of, of time and wow. space because her, yeah. her pussy was so good. Huh. Wow. Like he's wow, he's just in the in the in the zone. There's this weird taste, but I keep doing it, and then all of a sudden she starts like freaking out. And I look down and I lost my red wings. <laughs> so you gained your red wings. I mean, it, well, it doesn't matter. Right? I, I'm just saying, just yeah. get the, the 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 terminology right. I'm kind of tired, so I was not the best story could have been, but... the hell is that? I don't understand. Wait, what? He was kind of tired, so he stopped having oral sex with her? Is he saying he's kind of tired, so this narrative could have been better? I don't know. He's making me tired. (laughs) All right. I think that it was still a pretty good story. Keep it sick. Keep it wrong. Motherfuckers. Piece. You know, you're, you're you are your own worst critic. Like that story was fine. Uh, I mean, albeit a bit depressing here, especially for Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just to think, this guy is uh, not only not only is he getting dates, he's scoring with them the first night. Yeah. Just taking him. So this, I think you should do his technique here. Take him for a little ride to the park. Uh, you make out with him in the park, a little quick snog. Next thing you know, you're eating him out. And losing your red wings, those red wings that you covet. Yeah, I don't know if I have the, you know, (laughs) I don't know if I have the patience for that kind of shit anymore. (laughs) Have you just given up on the uh, the online dating sites? Yes. Well, well, what about uh, also? I'm to be honest, I I went on a date like a week and a half ago that I didn't even want to go on. To be honest, Uh, I was just kind of pressured. I wasn't pressured into it, but it was a friend of a friend. She's like, "Oh, go out with her. Go out there." I'm like, "All right." And Blind date, or did, had you met this person? I before? met her once. Okay, it was a friend of a friend, and this this woman was very empathic. You know, she was very intuitive. She, hmm. Not, you know, I don't believe well, I mean, psychics, but, but they, you know, they could sense things about people. But was this uh, like her? Were her uh, intuitions like apt? Yes. Like, they, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, so yeah. it was like I only had to make out with her for ten minutes before she realizes, you know, 
I was a fucking disaster piece who just who just <laughs> hated himself as you know as much as he possibly could. Yeah, but I um, thought they they they'd take this broken dove and make him learn to fly. I no, that she's, works for you. She was my age. sympathy fucks. And most most women my age, um, hopefully, I mean, hopefully they've they've learned that they shouldn't date me. You know, I can imagine. Through and experience. if they haven't, then something's gone wrong and. Things will get worse. Yeah, this wounded bird, you know, it's a it's a, it's a mental issue. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be. Uh, you know, I don't think a band aid, some neosporin is going to fix it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm getting some. I'm getting some treatment soon, man. So I'm what happened some shit here? Done what to what my happened brain, with her? My fucking brain, motherfucker. Oh wait, wait, um, wait. I, yeah, wait, this is almost a subject for a different show. When is this? I, I should go into a different show. It's soon. I'm waiting for the insurance. I know. I want to get into this. Yeah. Harrison's having a very questionable procedure. Yeah. Done. A very controversial procedure <laughs> is going to be done in a few uh, weeks. We'll have to see how it changes his demeanor. Yes. As co-host. Yeah. Of the Sick and Wrong podcast. Anyway, uh, congratulations on losing your Red Wings. I may not even club. remember what the show is afterwards. You know, after it's done. <laughs> I think I think it'll still be a. It'll be a great dynamic. I still think it will work between the the. the the two of us. I'll probably just say, I like turtles for like an hour. <laughs> is what'll happen. And just drool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that works. Um, so congratulations on uh, losing your Red Wings. I guess congratulations. I, th- yeah, really, I, the story was, a, it was, it was I, I don't know. I don't know I, what to make of it. I just find it really weird that some girl would let And she started go screaming? Down. Yeah, but why would she, if why she knew she... that she was on her period and the, the flow was that heavy, why would she be like, sure, go down there, have fun. I don't know. You know, it's going to be like uh, the fucking movie Carrie or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, people, call the Sick Wrong Hotline, 206-666-3846. We have time for one email that mm. I've been meaning to get to. Uh, this one came from... Love those emails. Trucker Ariane. I don't know if you remember her, the Canadian trucker. Trucker woman. Oh, yes. She writes, hey, guys, keep it trucking. Harrison, no weed in the truck. In the Great North, we have Press Cafe or Cafe Press... That's where I thought I could pick up a T-shirt. You know, we do have uh, T-shirts on Cafe Press. It's just we don't have the exclusive. Yeah. Like right now we have the exclusive uh, occult sick and wrong tea that we're selling through our site. Right. Sickandwrongpodcast.com slash store. However, there's a variety of other sick and wrong merch you can buy at the Cafe Press store. Uh, She says, uh, Trucker Paul rocks. And no, I'm not at all like uh, Large Marge. I'm 5'9", 140 pounds. I have to stay in shape or I'll end up like Trucker Marge. Thanks again. Keep them coming. 10-4, Trucker Ariane. Yeah, it must be hard to stay in shape if you're, you know, Trucker. Would you ever see that movie Over the Top? The fucking arm wrestling movie yeah. with Sylvester Stallone? Do you remember he had that like, Yes, arm- and I don't... I never <laughs> wanted to think about that movie ever again. Thank you. It's one of my favorites. Ugh. But do you remember when he's driving in the car and he's just working out with that like weight? He like Jerry rigged this like weightlifting thing so he yeah. could work out his one his arm wrestling arm. Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. And it was all wasn't it all so we could get custody of his son? However, however the hell that makes any sense. Uh, and, and why would you let that kid yeah. live with his father, who's a trucker, an itinerant trucker, whereas he was like his other parent was his mother is married to some like millionaire who's going to yeah. put him through med school, right? You know, no, 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 no. I'm like, going to no. take him to the, the cross-country underground fucking uh, arm wrestling circuit across America. <laughs> Teach him to be a trucker and an arm wrestler. Don't, you don't need to be a doctor. Don't get me started on it, man. Yeah. Um, she's saying, saying, keep it sick and wrong from the great north. Now I'm in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada. 
Well, thank you, Trucker Ariane. Uh, it's nice to hear from you. I like the idea of female truckers. Um, yeah. Do you think there are male lot lizards? Yes. So yes, there's uh, there's female lot lizards and there's male. You know, that's sure. a good question. Trucker Paul. But there are no gay thing. truckers? I mean, what's the... Well, no, I'm saying for the female truckers. Oh, for the female... No, like I, don't, I, don't, I don't think... I don't think so. <laughs> you don't think the female truckers are having sex with just random male prostitutes? I doubt it. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I mean, haven't you ever seen fucking Midnight Cowboy, you know? Yeah, but those it are... Really, those it doesn't really... Things don't really work out like that for you, you know? You, you know, you never hear about uh, female trucker serial killers. Was Eileen Warnos a trucker? No. Okay, she, she just killed... Uh, she was a prostitute that would kill her Johns. Right, exactly. But uh, you never really hear... But whereas you hear... It's often that you hear about a, uh, a male trucker that's a serial killer. Of course. Gary Ridgway. Yeah. Green River Killer. Um, I think we need more female truckers. We do, yeah. Yeah? Um, I bet you trucker Ariane doesn't shit in a Walmart bag. I bet you she pulls over to a truck stop and go uses the facilities. But, I mean, how do you be a trucker and then not become a disturbed loner? I guess you talk to them on the fucking radio or something. I'm thinking, thinking uh, trucker Ariane here. I don't see her being like a typical American trucker. Yeah, that's, you know that's high on meth and. But if she's talking to the, the guys on the thing, they must all be like, "Oh my god, she must understand me." And they're all talking. You know, like when you're when you're when you're 14 years old and you're on a BBS, you know, and there's like two girls on it and there's a bunch of guys and they're like, "This girl likes computers." The, the party line. Yeah, is that a party line? All right. Isn't that what they called it in the '90s? The party line where you just call and they, you think there's a girl there, but it's pretty much just six dudes. I never knew what the hell party lines were. I'm not talking about BBS. You know, where you before the internet, where you log in. Oh, okay, yeah. And it's yeah, like a local server Chat where you're chatting. Like, yeah. And so, yeah. And it was, it was the same kind of Christ thing. I'm old. Yeah, same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, people, you can email the show at stickaroundpodcast at a hotmail iTunes, best way to listen to the show, just subscribe, rate, comment. It's really simple. It'll take you less than 30 seconds, and it helps boost uh, the, the show's popularity. Uh, we also are, are wrapping up our theme song contest. So if you want to try to win Ryan Keeley's porn collection, you need to send in an MP3. Make it less than 30 seconds, and make sure you mention the name of the show, Sick and Wrong Podcast. And you can do anything. It's a, it's a pretty open, open competition. We did receive... A couple uh, contenders. Oh, you know? definitely. Hmm. So uh, I'm waiting to get a few to, to, to get a few songs out here, and then we'll we'll play them on the show. We'll discuss it, and then you can you can vote for the new theme song winner. And uh, the runners up get T-shirts. So send your send your theme song, your MP3 to cigaronpodcast.com. As I mentioned before, we do have new uh, cigaron T-shirts, the exclusive occult cigaron tee. At the Sigurong stores. Go to sigurongpodcast.com slash store and get one while you can because they've really been selling. Oh, yes. I've been shipping a lot of them. And uh, you know how long it takes us to print a fucking t-shirt. You're going to have to wait a while if we run out. And finally, here's Sigurong Song of the Week. I was thinking about this. Do you think Andy Bonsiago has, a, has campaign music? You think he has a campaign song? Uh, yeah, probably Calling Occupants of Interplanetary Craft by Klaatu would be my guess. You know, that was my second pick. Okay. Uh, my first pick was uh, was uh, Creature of the Atom Brain by Rocky Erickson oh, and the Aliens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if anybody, you know, could relate to, uh, to Basiago, it would be Rocky Erickson. 
Right. I'm sure like, because you know how like oftentimes like Trump will start playing like a Tom Petty song and Tom Petty will be like, cease and desist. Right. I will start suing you yeah. if you play my music. I bet you Rocky Erickson would find out that Andy Basiago is playing like Creature of the Atom Brain and be like, I dig you, man. I can, I, I kind of dig what you're trying to say. Yeah. I can understand you. I could see that. I could see that. I feel the same way. Mm. So we're going to end the show here with uh, Creature with the Atom Brain, a song that I think uh, Andy should use for his campaign here. It's from the the record uh, The Evil One, which is my favorite Rocky Erickson record. Oh, it's a good album. It's a good It's a good Oh, it's, a good, it's good. Anyway, and- thank you, Andy Bonciago, for being on the show. People will be, will be back with next week with uh, episode uh, 530. Till then, take it sleazy.
feel like that guy actually knows everything. <laughs> but like he knows everything real, and then half of everything he knows is uh, just utterly made up. Well, I mean, I, mean, I was it, about to say when he's like, I was in the space defense program from ages six to eleven. I was like, oh really? As a six-year-old? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good thing that we had the fate of America in your hands. Right. I, I like what you said. Like, why don't you? Uh, why don't they send you to the future with a fucking iPhone? Yeah, yeah. 